106 of the Church Collective Podcast. In this episode, I talk with Luke from Salt Nashville, which is just an incredible conference that we've been a part of for two years now, and we're coming back out in October. So if you are anywhere near there, or even if you're not, you're probably going to want to get there. And I think Luke really unpacks some great ideas on how to set up for visual worship and really the heart behind stage design and production and all that. So we're going to jump right in with the Church Collective Podcast, episode number 106. A lot of people think that, oh, Salt's this massive conference. They've got all the money in the world, and they may have even sat in our you know, main sessions and done the math. And um, <laughs> I can tell you point blank that conferences are some of the most expensive things I've ever been a part of. Sure. And we've never broken even. And, and I say that not to try and boast in there or anything. I'm just saying that to, to give perspective that um, our set design budget probably doesn't exceed a set design budget of a church of about a thousand people anyway. Hmm. I mean, last year we did five unique sessions, uh, I mean, five unique sets for five different sessions. And you obviously experienced that. And one of the things that um, we were really conscious about is, well, when you do five sets, that costs money. And so we had to do everything in our power just to, to find cheap ways to do it. And you know, I think the first set that we did that is still my favorite set of all five of them it was all these shards of chloroplast that were lit kind of well. I mean, we spent maybe three, four hundred bucks on that. And um, what what was probably more time consuming uh, or more cost costly to us was our time. I mean, it took a whole crew of people to really kind of engineer how do we flip four sets, you know, every single time. And some of them there were some pretty tight turnarounds, but. Um, yeah, so I think, you know, the thing that I always tell people when it comes to like set design and as, as people who are listening or are beginning to process, Hey, what are we going to do next creatively? The, the number one thing is it doesn't need to stand the test of time, right? Like, so from a structural standpoint, we don't need to build something that, sure. you know, is a structural bridge that everybody could drive their car over. We need it to stand up for maybe seven weeks, you know, or however long your series is. Right. And one of the things that we've gotten really good at, and we weren't good at this when we first started, is just building sets that look good um, to the eye and have an atmospheric element to it that we can use color and all this sort of stuff, but they aren't uh, cumbersome, they aren't over-engineered. Uh, there's a lot of money that can go into kind of putting two-by-fours in places you don't need two-by-fours, um, all that sort of stuff. So there's a, you know, there's a balance there. And, and I think the art of good creativity is using your boundaries well. And I think anybody who's listening knows that their boundaries may be monetarily, but, um, there's a lot you can do. And, and that's one of the things I'm excited about what we're doing at salt is, um, we've got a guy coming back to teach a class this year and we're actually in the early stages of trying to figure out he's wanting to build a set as a part of his class and letting people really kind of see how he builds these, um, what he would call standing up, not structurally sound sets that look good and they're extremely cost effective. And so anyway, small little things like that. That sounds really cool. Um, what, what would you say to somebody that that's having to set up week to week? I think that's always like an interesting, you know, going to like a high school gym, you know, would, do you, do you interact with people that are setting up state like design for that? Or is it really bare bones for them? Like, do you got any advice? Well, yeah. So my, I actually have a huge heart for the portable church, uh, as I would say it. And maybe, uh, you know, some, somebody said, may say, well, I'm not a portable church. I'm just a church plant that happens to be in a school. Well, I, you know, I'd say portable church is anything that doesn't have a building that they can leave everything hanging. Sure. Um, 
the reason I have a big heart for it is I live in Nashville. It's the touring hub of the world. I mean, there's more tours that come in and out of here. And so I have always thought of portable churches as being many little tours. And I always encourage churches that are considering um, doing, you know, portable church or maybe it's a church plan or whatever. They always say, well, what, you know, do you have any advice? I go, well, I've never been in a portable church, but if I were doing it, I'd treat it like a tour. I'd get cases and I'd color code them or put color coded stickers or color coded whatever, because the name of the game in, in, in the portable church would be efficiency. I mean, how do we get in set up quick so that we're not wasting our time in the wrong areas so that we can be present so that we can craft the right atmospheres um, and not be wasting too many of our resources doing setup and teardown when we were called to ministry, right? We were called to, to meeting people's spiritual needs and helping connect them with their creator. Sure. And I think we can get some of those mixed up sometimes when all we're thinking about is, well, how do I get the set in? Or, you know, I got to get all the sound equipment up or we've got, you know, make this awful, you know, school cafeteria look somewhat appealing. Um, we can lose sight of that. I got a great opportunity a couple years ago to work with um, Darren Whitehead and the Church of the City folks here. Darren was at Willow Creek, and God kind of called him to come down to Nashville and start a bunch of um, kind of small community churches. And their vision is 20 churches in 20 years. And that's astonishing, A, for Nashville. I'm sure that anybody <laughs> that's listening to this is going, wait a minute, does right. Nashville really need 20 more churches? But they're intentionally doing really small churches hmm. so that the community aspect is there. Sure. And what I love about it, and so I, I, he asked me to come and be a part of it. And, of course, they're all portable churches. I mean, every single one of them, that they ended up acquiring a, a church that kind of decided to hand over the building to them, which is a God thing. It doesn't happen to everybody. But, so that's kind of where their main hub is as far as staff and all that. But, um, yeah, I mean, they're trying to figure it out. And it's funny because they are starting to ask the questions that a lot of touring guys are asking. How do we get in five, 10 minutes faster? How do we pack this in a way that may not be as space efficient, but we can get in and out a lot faster. And, and that's something I may recommend. I mean, how do you build a set? Like in other words, when you're thinking about building a set, think about things that can be packed away quick. You know, it may be more, Hey, let's build giant panels of things that can all fit in a trailer upright next to each other versus doing something that may have a lot of intricacies or 3D depth or whatever that really takes up a ton of space or you know, really avoid things that are too heavy. Um, one of the things that, you know, I, the whole reason that Darren brought me in was they were doing this portable church and, and they were in a, a school auditorium, which was gorgeous. Um, and they just used some really simple LED lighting, but they ended up getting a really wide screen because what he realized was, is if we can just kind of put a screen, regardless of whatever the school's play, theatrical set look like, I'm sure some people deal with that, like, oh, we don't really know what we're going to walk into every Sunday. You know, we don't, we don't know what the school is already going to have set or banners that they're going to have up or right. you know, Joey for school president. <laughs> um, and so they use this screen to basically create these very digital environments. And then they would just get a graphic designer or they'd go to Creation Swap or triple wide media or worship house or whatever, and just get a cool backdrop for each of the message pieces. And then they have a great screen for worship. Um, and it was interesting because to watch them and, and, and even the church that I attended for about 10 years here in Nashville, um, they do that same thing. I mean, 
six, seven years ago, um, they realized they were spending, that's a large church. There's, there's five services and they see about a thousand per service. So it's a mega church in any regards, but fellowship Bible here in Nashville, uh, was spending, I think some, somewhere around three or $4,000 a set. Now that may sound like a lot, but it's an expository church and they were in the book of Luke for like two years. So <laughs> a set lasts for a little while. Right. But what they learned was if they were doing two, three sets a year, uh, as they were breaking up some of these books, they learned that it actually was going to be cheaper if they just bought a 15,000 lumen projector and basically project virtual sets. And what a great way, I mean, even for portable churches, what would it look like to utilize, I mean, this is kind of pushing in a little bit on this concept of environmental projection, but sure. what would it look like to kind of create a virtual set so that you're not actually having to set up physical pieces and you need, you know, seven, you know, extremely uh, energetic people at four in the morning on a Sunday <laughs> to unload a trailer, but you're able to, you know, just kind of basically put up a big screen, if you will, and projector to, and, and be able to digitally prepare offline. Yeah. That's really cool. So could you unpack a little bit, maybe for somebody that's listening, that, that you said the word environmental projection, like what, what does that mean? Yeah, well, I think environmental projection can mean a lot of things to a lot of people. I think in the church, it's it's been given a connotation of um, immersive, sacred environments. Um, and and what I would add to that is it's really the context of, you know, if you look back in, in history, um, cathedrals were these beautiful sanctuaries that people would go to. And, and you know, it's it's been proven that sanctuaries, and it's even scriptural, that sanctuaries really were kind of a place for both the poor and the wealthy to kind of commune together in a house that was fitting for both of them. And you look at these cathedrals, and I don't know if anybody's been to London. I had a trip to London a couple years ago that changed my life, and I walked into Westminster Abbey. And when I walked into Westminster Abbey, I, I immediately, I don't know if you've been there, Ryan, but it's, I wish it, it, it'll take your breath away. I mean, you've probably been in a cathedral that's pretty stunning. Sure. Um, but you walk in and you immediately, I immediately realized I had like lifted my head and my hands kind of opened up a little bit. I was wearing a backpack, so I didn't have anything. And I was like, oh my gosh. And what I realized in that moment was the mere space, the mere in, environment that I had walked in had rendered me in a natural posture of worship. And in that moment, Ryan, it just killed me because I was like, what is the Western church like? <laughs> like when we walk into the buildings that I go into, they seem like sterile, you know, multi-purpose white brick buildings. Sure. Like that's not necessarily rendering me in a posture of worship. And, but what I love about environmental projection is that you can take some of these concepts that you walk into these majestically beautiful atmospheres that point you in the direction of adoration towards God we can now digitally bring that into these multi-space environments because our walls become canvases. And so on a very rudimentary level, environmental projection is the concept of taking imagery and projecting it onto your walls or maybe behind your stage or whatever in kind of an immersive environment. That's really cool. Um, maybe go a little deeper too. Have you noticed, like, especially in Nashville, like you have like these giant churches and then you have this, um, upsurgence of like, well, we're going to be very small, very community oriented. I mean, this is kind of maybe beyond the design aspect, but what, what do you kind of think, where do you think church is going here in the next couple of years with that? Well, I think there's, yeah, I think it's a, it's a question that a lot of people are asking. Um, in fact, um, 
we're we're trying to put together a panel that's going to ask a very similar question at Salt this year. Mm. Um, very specifically, I would love to ask some of the most innovative quote churches of of today. Hey, where is creativity going in the church, and sure. where is innovation? And and I would love to push into this concept of. At what point is innovation too much? I mean, is that possible for the church? Yeah. And can we make creativity the thing? Can we make our musicality or can we make our art or our media or technology the thing and it actually hurt us in the long run? Hmm. And so, I don't know. I think all that goes into this same question. I mean, where is the future of the church headed? I think it's a both and. I mean, I find that the younger generation, they've been around the what I'm going to call contemporary highly technical church for so long that – um, it's not necessarily fresh. It's not necessarily, I mean, they kind of have just, it's just, it is, it is what it is. Um, which is why I've always said media and technology cannot be used as a marketing gimmick to get the next generation. In. Sure. It's going to fail. I mean, yeah. it just doesn't work. Um, do I think it's small home churches? I personally don't think that's it. Um, I think that works for some people. Obviously you're seeing that, uh, kind of rise up in the Anglican church, um, as you know, they're doing a much more kind of home church model, which is beautiful. I love it from a biblical perspective. Isn't that where the church started, right? Like there's 50 people meeting in a small little community center. Sure. Um, I don't think that's, um, going to become the norm, if that makes sense. But I also don't know if we're going to see the era of Hillsong churches as much. Right. You know? I think we, as a Christian, at least Western society, have started to realize kind of the dangers of franchising church. Hmm. And um, I mean, I've seen it just, I, mean, I grew up in Atlanta. So I, I grew up in the heartbeat of North Point Community Church, Andy Stanley, and, and kind of the network of churches they've built. And what I've found is they're starting to make them, some of these strategic partners, they're starting to bring them into their own wheelhouse. So they're actually becoming full-time campuses, not just strategic partners that, broadcast Andy's message. And I may have confused everybody, but <laughs> they basically have campuses, which is a staffed environment, part of the North Point ministry. And then they have strategic partners where basically you replicate many of the models of the North Point organization, but it's still on its own. And then you're able to basically accept, access some of the resources, including messages and curriculum and stuff like that. Sure. So it's almost like you're a, kind of a denominational arm versus your campus. And so I don't, you know, is that model going to exist? I don't know. I mean, multi-site is um, taking off. Here's what I love about multi-site when it comes to conversations about, you know, hey, well, are you saying multi-site's dead? I'm not saying that. I actually love multi-site because it's making smaller communities out of a larger community of faith. And, you know, one of the church, the church that we hosted Salt at last year Ryan, you kind of may have seen some of this, but you know they're a massive church. I mean, sure. Brentwood Baptist is, um, as some people say, it's a massive church that you see on every Baptist curriculum video. You know, <laughs> it's it's the pin, you know, pinnacle. It's the one. <laughs> yeah, it's the big one, right? And the main sanctuary is like three thousand people, and it's just astonishing. Hmm. But what a lot of people don't realize is, I think they have like four or five other campuses. Well, each of those campuses are tiny little communities, and I don't say tiny in a negative way. They, they're intimate communities of that exact same expression. And so what they're getting, and what I love about the model is, you're getting the wisdom of a leadership team that has done this for 20-plus years, who have gone through the thick and thin of almost anything you could probably imagine in organizational life. And, and they're able to pass that on to these kind of 
startup, small, intimate communities. And, and they're all over the city. And what, what's beautiful about the Brentwood Baptist model and why I'm such a fan of it is it's local pastors. So it's not necessarily piping in the senior pastor's message. It's just the senior pastor is mentoring a bunch of teachers in those communities to help them be the pastor they've been called to be in that community. I think we're going to see more and more of that as we move forward in this multi-campus, you know, campus, multi-site conversation. Sure. Because I think um, with technology and with internet and with streaming, I mean, the streaming is a big question right now. Like, I've been asking some of my friends, why do you stream? Some of the big churches are like, why do you stream? Do you stream because you think you're really reaching people? I mean, you may be. There's no question about that. But we're reaching people in an environment where they can't really connect yeah. with a body of believers because they're in a virtual environment. Sure. So because of that, I think the whole concept of streaming the pastor into seven other campuses may not be seen as much in the future because, in theory, people can get that online. Right. Um, I, think they're, I think people want authentic relationships. I think they want that community piece. And I think the Bible is pretty clear that the church is not just a message and it's not just a song. It's not just a worship moment. It's not just... 20 minutes of music and then a prayer and then a sermon. I really think the, the church is the body. Yeah. And so that's where I'm kind of been pushing a little bit on that streaming piece and going, are we, are we kind of making too much out of a piece of technology that's actually hurting our ability as a, as a big C church to be a little C church. Right. Yeah, that's a good thought. So I guess to, to bring it all back in a little bit in the midst of, you know, where the church is going and all that, what, what advice do you give for, um, the creative director, the worship leader, the you know the the church that's like trying to bring their best every week. Like, what could you maybe get to the heart of the why behind uh, this design? Yeah, I think you know that's a question we've been wrestling with a lot as a team here because we're going to be kind of talking about what does excellence mean for the church this year at Salt. And I, you know, I think it looks a little different for everybody, but at the heart of everything, excellence, as far as culture defines, seems to always look like perfect, produced, nailing it, rehearsed, all that sort of stuff. And as you look in the Bible, when Paul writes about what does it mean to do your best, it's really about giving what you've got to God. And it's really a heart condition. It's a posture, right? It's not, a, it's not this pursuit we go on to kind of find perfect things or to create this perfect service. And it, I think God really says it's a posture. I had a friend who really challenged me a couple of years ago. He said, you know, if you're a worship leader uh, and, and you're leading worship on a Sunday morning, let's say you're doing two services of a 30-minute set. Well, that equals about an hour. Let's say you're going to do another hour in, you know, your, your rehearsal planning or whatever. And then let's say that, uh, or, you know, rehearsal with the band and whatever. Sure. Let's say that you're going to spend another, you know, hour maybe with a musician. And he goes, I'm just giving us, you know, a lot of grace here. Um, you're basically spending at most three hours actually performing your musical craft right. on a platform to lead to help people lead worship. And he goes, but if you calculate up the, the hours of the day that you're typically awake over the course of a week and you take out those three hours, there is way more time. I mean, I think it works out to like it's only about 2%, 1 or 2% of your time is on a platform. Hmm. And he just asked this beautiful question that, you know, obviously – hurts a little bit if you can't say amen you gotta say ouch but he basically said do you think god cares more about how you look and perform in the one percent or in the 99 right because there's a parable out there that you know the shepherd left the 99 to go get the one because he cared about each of us 
But at the same time, I think there's there's truth to, and, and here's really the encouragement for those that wrestle with this. It's, man, let's put the right things first. Let's not make our lives about trying to become these technical experts or let's not try and, you know, lose sleep over, you know, this tiny little mistake that may have happened. I mean, I think, I think excellence can happen in the context of mistakes. Um, I think a mistake can happen and you still have an excellent service. I think mistakes can happen and, and, and excellence still exists. Hmm. However, where I have to take that to another level is if the same mistakes are happening over and over and over, then it is a heart issue. Because I think naturally you should want to bring our best to God. We should naturally want to do everything we can. And so if there's a mistake, that's okay. But let's go fix the mistake afterward. Let's not waste all of our time ahead of time stressing about, well, I can't have this because that may have a problem, right? We may mess that up. We may take this creative concept too far technology may get in the way of this and sometimes we're we're fearful of that because we're looking for perfect right and i think what god's looking for is why don't you bring me what i gifted and wired you to do and bring that to your community as an expression of how they connect with me and that's a heart thing right that's not a mind thing that's not let's outsmart everybody or you know outpace everybody Thanks for listening to this week's episode. As always, head over to thechurchcollective.com, hit that contact button. We want to connect with you, and we want to connect you with others. God bless you today.